Let's turn now in Holy Scripture to the epistle of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Probably worth a reminder and keeping in your mind as we read this that this chapter importantly introduces the great chapter in Scripture on love or charity, 1 Corinthians 13. Most of you are very well aware of the contents of that, but keep in mind that this importantly leads to instruction on love. 1 Corinthians 12, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. And if they were all one member... Where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon these, we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body 
that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. We read that far in God's Word and consider this morning the instruction of Lord's Day 21, question and answer 55. Lord's Day 21, question and answer 55. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that all and everyone who believes being members of Christ are in common partakers of Him and of all His riches and gifts. Secondly, that everyone must know it to be his duty readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, there are especially two points I want to make by way of introduction. The first is that this question and answer is very much related to the previous one, and our fathers show that by combining them into one's Lord's Day. It's worth keeping that in mind, too, when we come to the forgiveness of sins. It's combined, and therefore our fathers see a relationship. Hopefully we can see this relationship this morning, too, that what we say about the communion of the saints, we say about the church. To put it another way, the fact that we are a church, the fact that the church is a holy Catholic church, necessitates or requires communion of the saints. It simply follows from that. And the relationship should be evident when we realize that both questions and answers refer to us as members. The reality of the church is that there is this church made up of members, and they're members of Christ. And exactly because of that, therefore, it follows necessarily and importantly that there is communion of saints. The same thing will be true of the forgiveness of sins, too. The second thing that I wish to simply put before you this morning is how important this is for us to understand and know. We live in an age where even among Christians, the church is either misunderstood, misaligned, hated, despised, or turned into something it is not. We should be aware that exactly because there is a connection of the church, and therefore of the members, and that connection is to our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that has implications for one's attitude and membership in the church. For example, throughout the New Testament period, the world and false church has shown what it truly thinks about Jesus Christ, what it really thinks about Him, not only by crucifying Him personally on the cross, but by persecuting His church, His body in the earth. That's why, as time nears the end, the end when our Lord returns, the church will especially, the world will especially show its utter hatred and rejection of Christ by trying to persecute the church out of existence. That's the explanation. But don't forget, it's misunderstanding, ignorance, perhaps even hatred with regard to what the church is that explains the church world today explains why people are leaving churches and joining large megachurches and why those churches preach what they do and do what they do. There are many who view the church simply not as holy, and therefore the communion of the saints isn't regarded as that. Therefore, we view the church not as anything distinct from any, really, any other earthly organization. Oh, it has its place. It has a place just like Costco has a place, and the tennis club has a place, and the golf club has a place, and and, in many other places where there's communion. There's expectation about what the church is. The view is the church is there to serve me. The church is supposed to be what I want it to be. It has to be what I think it should be. Or that... One can live any, any way that he wants in the church. Or, or perhaps even this too. View of the church, that the church, because of my love for Jesus Christ and His grace, is something I can rent and divide asunder as I see fit. Until that in the end you really don't have a church at all except a few people who think the same way about things, but they have no love for the church. A lot of love for Jesus Christ, supposedly, but none for the church. The communion of the saints. Let's consider that this morning. And we're going to look first at its character, then its expression, and then its blessedness. When we refer to the character of the church, and I'm not going to spend too much time talking about that, because that's really what we were talking about when we talked about and holy Catholic Church. When we talked about an holy Catholic Church, we were referring to the attributes or the character of the church. What is the church like? What does it look like? Um, what's our, what are its virtues? Now, I tried last week to, to make clear that that's different from what we call the marks of the church. There are three marks, three marks that show clearly whether a church is true or false, but then there's also characteristics of the church, and certainly they're visible, and certainly they have some sort of role in our understanding with what's a true church. There, there should be a reflection of those marks in those characters, but they're not marks as such. Nevertheless, they're visible, and they're, they're known, and, and we should be aware of them, and they're Mainly, we considered that there's one church, 
One church. Even when we speak of churches, we do so in a way that there's one church. We, we have a unique view of that. On the one hand, although there's many, many, many different churches, even denominations, there's only one church. On the other hand, we view this also this way, that we're simply not just really a part of the church, but even the whole church should be in a way, reflected here, even in this congregation, there should be a reflection as much as possible in this oneness of the whole church. We talked about the fact that there's unity in the church. And also, it's a holy church. Those are characteristics. We may say, Another characteristic, therefore, is that there's communion. Communion that follows. So we speak of the communion of the saints. Saying that, you should have then a sense that the character of the church flows from or is derived from something other than itself. It's derived from what the church essentially is, what it's joined to. The church doesn't decide that it's going to be one. The church doesn't decide that it's going to be united. United meaning that it's a certain kind of oneness. It's a oneness of many. That's what unity means. It's one. There's a unity And the church doesn't just decide that holiness is a good thing for us to have. The church doesn't decide, you know, we're going to focus on communion here. We're we're going to try to commune. No. Those things necessarily follow. They are because of what the church is. And what the church is, is derived from this fact that is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. What the church is, the communion of the saints, and its character, all of that is derived from the fact that the church is a body of many, many, many members, all joined together to our Lord Jesus Christ, and we must add, therefore, how we are joined. And that is by the Holy Spirit. We could just shorten it all if we wanted to and say the church is what it is, has its character, and there will be communion of saints because there is only one Lord and one Spirit of that Lord. You will find that in many, many places in Scripture. Perhaps you can go back to the book of Ephesians and remember that, where when the Apostle arrives at the practical section so-called of the book. He reminds us to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we're reminded that the command there is to keep, not to make, not to form, but to keep it. To keep something that's already there. And to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then there's an explanation given of why both why we must do this, why this is our calling, why this is the work of the church, keep keep it, but also the explanation for it. 
And you may recall it's because there is one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And if you want to combine all those into one, you may say it's because there's one Spirit. We are joined to Christ by one Spirit. That Spirit is His Spirit. And because it's His Spirit, that Spirit will have the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever the Lord is, we will be. Now, here I want to just simply point out that the character of the church, therefore, goes back to, flows back to, is derived from everything that God has designed, God has planned or purposed in our Lord Jesus Christ. We can go farther back. Remember, last week we considered the emphasis of the Heidelberg Catechism upon election. The truth that the Son of God from the beginning to the end of the world gathers, defends, and preserves to Himself by His Spirit and Word out of the whole human race, a church chosen to everlasting life. Well, what you must see is that this is why the Scriptures and the creeds, when explaining election, always place Christ first. He is the elect of God. He is the one God chose first. But God did not choose Him alone, to be alone, to live by Himself. Didn't choose Him simply as an individual or a person, but chose Him as a head, as a Lord, as a head of a body and Lord of a kingdom. And therefore chose also all the members of that body and of that kingdom. So that explains the character of the church. God decided to join us to someone in particular as our head and our Lord. And it's our joining to Him that explains who and what we are. There's even a sort of reflection of that in our own earthly bodies and lives. In many ways, we can see that who and what we are as a body is very much related to what we have for a head. Now, we don't tend to disjoin those two. They're one in us, which all by itself is telling that even when it comes to our own earthly lives, which are the biblical pictures, you can ask yourself, how can you separate the head from the body? How can you think about the head without the body or the body without the head? How can you love the head but hate the body? How can you mistreat the body but say you love the head? And this, too, is an emphasis of Scripture everywhere it's taught. And it's reminding us that this derivation is a connection that's essential. And so much is that true that we, we know who we are and what we are, but we speak about things like our personality, for example. We have a certain personality. Our body behaves according to our personality. Or our body lives out its life and does what it does, and it has a large part to do with 
the way our mind works and our mind thinks, or the wisdom that we have, or the knowledge and understanding that we have. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And that's the point that we're making now. If you want to know why we are the way we are, why it is that we are this way and not that way, why it is that we must correct when there are things amiss and things wrong, when, when there are things that are even sinful and there must be sin excised out of the body. Why all that is? The answer is because it has to do with the fact that we are joined to our Lord Jesus Christ by one Spirit. It's His Spirit. And the body is going to reflect that and have that in its life. Want to just point out that the character of that body, if we could label it with perhaps one word, a word that has a lot of meaning, that word would be spiritual. What essentially is the character of the church? And if we were tempted to respond that it's physical, that it's earthly, that it's like other physical earthly organizations, you would be wrong. It's essentially spiritual. At its heart and at its core, the church is spiritually one. The unity is therefore invisible. The connection to our Lord Jesus Christ is invisible. But make no mistake, it's there. It's real. And there's only one connection, the Holy Spirit. There's only one thing that unites it all, brings it all together. Again, remind you that we're expounding here the great work of the Holy Spirit. One who claims great love for our Lord Jesus Christ, but disparages or attempts to destroy His church, perhaps even while claiming they're reforming the church, is hypocritical at best. That's impossible. That can't be done. The church is one. It's one spiritually. It's one ethically. Why is it a holy church? Why is the communion holy? Why is there communion only in holiness? answer is one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of different ways for us to apply that. But I, I think we can think about this pretty clearly and meditate upon it even much beyond this morning. Why is it that there's continually a call to faith and repentance in the church? Because faith is the term that we give to the work of the Spirit whereby we are united to Christ. Remember, the church was a church agreeing in true faith. If you want to understand the spiritual character of the church, think about faith. It is essentially spiritual. It is spiritual. It's a spiritual bond. There's a spiritual connection. There's a spiritual instrument there. This is why that unity is expressed in doctrinal statements and creeds and why our creeds are called the three forms of unity. Three forms of unity. 
Why is it that the church cannot really overlook sin? It can forgive sin. It can declare the forgiveness of sins. But sin that stubbornly persisted in has to be excised out of the body. The answer is because the body is joined spiritually, which spiritual connection is holy, holy. And therefore, just like an earthly body, if there's a gangrenous member, your toe becomes rotten and corrupt. Before the poison spreads throughout the whole body, you have to cut off the toe. If you ask why it is that part of the communion of the saints is appreciation for the diversity of the body, take note of that. The unity of the body is not a sameness in everything. There's an agreement in true faith. There is a sameness in holiness. All the members will be holy, will express that holiness, will live lives of holiness. But exactly because this character is spiritual, it it means that this unity transcends all physical earthly boundaries. All of them. And there's many of them. Think of all the physical, earthly things that men try to overcome in order to unify and fail. The diversity among the nations and among the tongues and among the cultures and among the practices and traditions. The differences between male and female and young and old. The differences between the socially elite and the common man. We could go on and on over all the differences in humanity. And man tries to form unions and knows he has to deal with these things, but he bungles it all. He messes it all up because he tries to do it in an earthly way. Well, exactly because of our spiritual character, Not only are those things no hindrance in the church, none whatsoever, they actually enhance and lend to the beauty and the glory of the church. One of the things that makes the church the glorious place that it is, is that you can have, for example, even in a marriage, male and female, and the differences of that, and even where In this earth there is submission of the wife to the husband, and yet they are spiritual equals, co-heirs of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Co-honored, and not a matter of division. That's an amazing thing and why we should resist all attempts, all attempts to unify the church in one way or another, on the basis of earthly, physical considerations. And we often do that too with regard to the things that we like and we're comfortable with. So there's a spiritual character of the church. And we should be aware of that. That when we talk about the communion of the saints, and the character of the church, that the communion itself is essentially spiritual. It has nothing to do really with what building we worship in. It, it really has nothing to do with our national origins or where our building is located. It really has nothing to do with the things that we all 
imagine are so important. I'm going to join this church. Why? Well, I'm very comfortable with some of those people. I went to school with them. They're my friends. We have a lot of things in common, but if you look at that, they're not spiritual commonalities. Sometimes there's even an ignoring of the fact that God in His wonderful way actually makes a church of very, very diverse individuals that from every earthly perspective cannot get along. And it's an amazing, wonderful thing in the church where people who from every natural perspective can't get along and perhaps express that in their attitudes one toward another and have to be corrected, have to learn to live how to live in a brotherly, kindly, godly way. But when it's done by the Spirit, it's an amazing thing. Amazing, amazing thing. Because in the end, it is all about God and His glory. So that's where the character of the church comes from and what it is. We want to look next, however, though, at its expression. And I use that word expression because we also have to reflect the fact that the church is in this world and it takes a physical manifestation. We talked about that with regard to the church. So also the communion. The church is essentially spiritual. It is the body of the elect. So much is that true. We said that the church is made up of the elect people of God who are already in heaven and don't live on the earth. The church consists of babies that haven't been born yet. And there's, that's real. That's true. But yet the church invisible, the church that spiritual always takes a physical form on the earth. It has to. This is a physical place. We live in physical time and physical bodies. And so it's wrong and illicit to say, for example, I'm a member of the church. I believe I'm a member of the church, but not actually have any membership in any particular church. It's impossible. It's impossible to insist you're a member of the church when you've left the church, divorced yourself from the church. You're no more a member of the church anymore than if you would take off a finger. That finger is severed from the body. It's no longer part of the body. So also in the communion of the saints. The communion of the saints is spiritual. It's going to take a spiritual form. That's reflected in the fact that that spiritual communion is expressed by faith, with regard to doctrine, with regard to what exactly we believe, and it's expressed spiritually as holiness. But I think you can see, even when I said that, that that spiritual thing, spiritual faith, and the spiritual holiness of the church must express itself. It must be visible. It must be seen. And somehow it always will be seen and known. One can even draw an analogy again to earthly physical life. There is, for example, the love in the union of husband and wife, or in the family there is love of, say, a father for his wife. It's an essentially a spiritual thing. It's, a, it's an attitude. It's, it's found in the heart. But it what must and will always take expression. 
in some form, in, in some fashion. It'll take expression with his hands and his body. It'll take expression with his words and what he does and how he behaves. A man who loves his wife isn't going to be cheating on his wife with other women. He's going to be faithful to her. He's going to care for her. He's going to speak kindly to her. He's going to labor and work for her. <coughs> if we love our bodies, and there is a proper love for one's body that one must have. If one hates his body, that's rebellion. There's something wrong there. How can you hate your body without also hating your head? And then as soon as you think about that, you, how do you hate your body and not hate God who made it? Well, so also, that will reflect itself in how we use and handle our body, right? If we have love for our body and there's a communion of the members of our body one with another, what do we do? Well, we, we care for it. We, we wash our body, we clean our body, we feed our body, and we, we exercise our body. Why is it that we do the kinds of things that we do in front of a mirror every morning or evening? Soap and water and washcloths and fingernail clippers and scrubbers and scissors and what's going on there? And the answer is, well, we're expressing our care and our love for the body through our care of the body that God gave us. And, and we're also reflecting the fact that our, our bodies are earthly and physical and we live in a world where we're sick and, and, and there's death and all these things, so there, there's even more care that needs to be exercised for our body. Well, now, take all that and apply it to the church. And it's really no different. None whatsoever. And you should understand then, therefore, the form that this union, this spiritual, spirituality of the church will take. It will take the form of loving care for the members of the body. That's really what explains the amazing thing that the confession, when it gets into all this, the communion of the saints. Now, <clears throat> don't misunderstand the, the confession here. When it says that there's this thing called the communion of the saints, this real thing called communion, it's not saying that there's only one way to express that. Remember that communion is essentially fellowship. And as soon as we use that word, we think of friendship and fellowship. As soon as we use those two words, we think of the covenant. And we immediately think of our friendship and fellowship with God, don't we? Good. Good. Now we understand what the communion of the saints essentially means. It's spiritual friendship and fellowship with one another, even as we have friendship and fellowship with our God. But think of all the different ways that that's expressed and how that's brought to bear, how, how we see it in our own life with God, at least how it should be. And you could go on and on for a long way, just like you could with regard to a husband and his wife. How does a wife show her love and care for her husband? And you could go on and on and on and on, or vice versa. So also with the communion of the saints. <clears throat> And <clears throat> so much is this true that one sometimes must ask whether 
what is often considered to be the communion of the saints and how it's expressed really is in fact that. I believe that goes on a lot in the church, even our church. When you look at what we discuss and what we talk about, what's being said in our little circles of friends and what's being tweeted and emailed one with another, because those are all forms of commune Communication, communication. We express communion by communication, and we commune mainly with our words and our speech and what we hear, and nowadays with our fingertips and our computer screens. That's how communion will be expressed through communication. If you look, therefore, at what we communicate, it will tell you either what you think about what the communion of the saints is, and oftentimes, it's wrong. Again, what we communicate and what we are communing about is all sorts of earthly, physical things. Now, don't draw the line too sharp. We do share a common earthly life. We share the common miseries of life. There is a common concern in the church for the weather and other things that are going on in the world. So there is a place for that in our conversation. But that's not essentially how the communion of the saints is expressed. It's, in, it's expressed in our communication of our faith, number one. We communicate what we believe. We communicate what's in our heart. We communicate what's in our heart with regard to the Word of God. We even communicate holiness. We are a holy people, and therefore our communication is not only holy, which is why it's not communion of the saints, and it's not godly communication, when what we communicate and what we say is slander, or gossip, or backbiting, or even blasphemy. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't be once named among you. But now what's striking is the catechism sort of ignores all that. And it says if you want to see what the communion of the saints is and you want to have a flavor for what it is, it's this. Giving. Giving. Giving what? And the answer is everything. Let me read to you. We talk about the understanding of the communion of the saints. The first thing we need to know is what it is that we're in common partakers of Him and all His riches and gifts. Now think about those riches and gifts. Think of all the riches and gifts that are imparted in Christ, that are stored in Christ that we have. That's why the passage we read, as well as Ephesians, its sister passage in Ephesians, open up those passages by talking about the Spirit. Because as soon as you think about the Spirit, you've got to think about gifts and everything that He gives us. And then the diversity of gifts. How He gives to every member different gifts so that they, they have a different place, even like eyeballs and ears do. And, and not everybody has all the same gifts. And even those that have the same gifts don't have them in the same quantities. There's all these things going on. And then... In the church, in the community of the saints, those gifts are all given for everyone else. That's the amazing thing. That's why it's so wrong to say, well, I'm not going to go to this church. I'm not going to go. No one recognizes my gifts. That's a pretty selfish way of thinking. 
just start using them and using them not on yourself, not for your own honor and glory, but for everybody else. Now you say, why is that? And the answer is, because that's the nature and character of love. Do you see why 1 Corinthians 12 leads to 1 Corinthians 13 on love? Because we're one body in love. And love is never taking, it's giving. Love is desiring the good of everyone else. That's what real love is. And in order to do that, one must give. You have members that are only taking, then, then you have to question whether they're true spiritual members of the church. They're giving. And if you say, of what? I could name a lot of things, but the answer basically is everything that you've been given. Everything. Everything. Everything that you've been given, you've received from the Spirit. Even earthly physical gifts that come by way of God's providence. The money you have. The education you have. Your body, body strength. Your stamina. Any of those things. Remember we said when we got to providence that they come with God's blessing. And that blessedness that comes with it is the desire and willingness to give them to the other. To give them to the other. I fear sometimes, brothers and sisters, that we pride ourselves as a church on our agreement in true faith and the truth and veracity of the true faith that we have. That's all well and good. God has given you the truth. The truth is worth defending. It is an amazing thing to have the truth. God has done amazing things for us in this regard. But there's two things that are disturbing or ought to be disturbing. Number one, our lack of communicating that truth to others. It's like it's ours. It's mine. I'm not going to talk to you about it. Or if I talk to you about it, I'm not going to talk to others about it. When it comes to others outside the church, when it comes to others in other churches, then I don't know how to talk to them. I don't communicate it to them in any form or fashion. In fact, I don't even communicate the holiness God gives me. When I'm around others, I even try to hide that holiness. I don't want to be holier than thou. I, I, I don't want people to mock me for the way I speak and the way I talk and the way I live. That's a horrible thing. Take two great gifts. The greatest gifts God gives to the Spirit. Your faith and your holiness. Those that make the church what it is. And we don't communicate them to anybody outside of ourselves. We shut our mouth. We hardly communicate them to our wife or our children. Ah, that's what the school's for. Shame on us. Shame on us. But then what about everybody else? everything else? How do you view your money? For you, is it for everybody else? Oh yes, there's a place for private property. I urge all of you to read the meditation, the fine meditation from John Calvin's Institutes on the communion of the saints. He nails it. We are not socialism. We are not communism. God gives us our own private property, but He does so telling us willingly and cheerfully to give it. Oh, and not just give it, when you die. That doesn't count. That's not what it's all about. Give it during your living. Give it to others. And the whole point of that is so that no one else lacks. No one should lack anything. There should always be someone. Someone who has exactly what you need.
the help you need, the strength you need, the advice you need, the words you need, the money. And that's what the communion of the saints is. Oh yes, it has its fullest expression here in the church when we gather on a Sunday. But even then, there's an expression of it. We're singing together, we're praying together, we're talking together, we put money in the collection plate together for all kinds of causes. But it's not over. I fear, brothers and sisters, that far too much of what God gives us, we say, it's mine. It's mine so that I can have fine vacations. It's mine so I can live my life this way or that way. It's all about me. And that is the exact opposite of what the communion of the saints is. And it covers both things for the advantage and salvation. How do we look at our brothers and sisters? Out of Catechism says, do you look out for their advantage? That's advantage over you, by the way. <laughs> their advantage over others. And that's a good way to gauge holiness too, isn't it? Because holiness essentially is, has to do with our love toward God and neighbor. See, it all fits. Now, what's the blessedness of that? It's briefly this. It's briefly this. What's the blessedness of your body or perhaps some organization you belong to when there's communion, when there's true unity, when there's oneness, harmony, when there's agreement, when there's a common life? What, what, what's the blessedness of that? And I think all of you could see is when it comes to an earthly organization, it's a wonderful place to be. It's, it's one of the reasons I, I belong to my golf club. It's a wonderful place. We have so much in common, and there's this and that, and we, we get along. And all. Okay, great. And, and Costco, too. It's, it's, you know, there's just, just a lot of advantages of it. Well, what about your body? Same thing. When the body's being cared for by all the members, when you have an eyeball that understands the eyeball doesn't exist just for itself, but it exists for the whole body, and when the ears understand that what it hears is for the advantage of the whole body and not just one part, which don't take for granted, by the way, our head has to keep all our members in line, keep them all working together for a common purpose and a common goal. But what's the blessedness of that? The answer is the body grows. It's stronger. It's healthier. It's able to get more done. It's a wonderful place to be. And that's the blessedness in the church too. The amazing thing is God uses the very communion of the saints for the advantage and welfare of the saints themselves, for the body. Again, I don't have time, but go to 1 Corinthians 12, go to Ephesians 4, and, and read the apostle there. He, he talks about what happens when all the joints of the body are well-oiled by love. Just like the joints of our body, when there's lubrication there, there's no friction, there's, there's not the joining asunder. And, and when, what, what happens when, when things fall apart in our bodies? Well, we've got to start cutting pieces off, and, and there's pain, and there's sorrows, and there's troubles, and we can't do what we want to do. Well, that's the church. There's advantage and salvation for the members themselves. That's what it says we give for. 
Our problem is we think that we can have advantage in salvation without that. That Christ somehow works in the church apart from that. No, this is the way Christ cares for His body. If you ask yourself, how is it that Christ cares for His body? How is it that He gives it the nourishment it needs? How is it that He gives it a life that can exist in this sin-cursed world and persevere? How is it that the church is gathered, defended, and preserved? He's through the body itself. Where do ministers come from? From the body itself. Where do the members come from? Typically from the body itself, either through its evangelism efforts or through the line of the covenant. Where does the nourishment come from? Where does the care come from? Where does the comfort come from that we need? You see, that's how Christ works it. So that when it's not there, we hurt. It will show itself. The body will begin to die. Pieces will start to fall off. There will be troubles. But don't forget too, that part of the blessedness is as it pertains to God. God works this. This is to the glory and the honor and praise of God. How can we honor and glorify God with our lips when our attitudes one toward another are far from Him and toward far from the body itself? And what it is, God is praised. Even the world can look and say, look at those people. Look at how diverse they are. Look at the troubles they have. And yet they're one. They live as one. They care for each other as one. That's the blessedness of the communion of the saints. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee for the communion of the saints. We thank Thee for the church. O Lord, take us selfish, self-centered human beings, And teach us, O Lord, to love, to love one another, to live in the communion of the saints, to live in fellowship in the same spirit by which we are joined to Thee in our Lord Jesus Christ. That this may be, O Lord, for the strength, for the lifting up, the edification, the growth of the body, as well as the glory and honor of Thy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.